Well, today we're doing something very different. We've got Will Batson with us, who's with the National Parks and Wildlife Upper Blue Mountains area. And last month we went out to everyone and said, give us your questions you'd like to ask National Parks and Wildlife, something that you've always wanted to know or curious about. And we had a great response. So today, thanks to Will, we're going to go through and get some answers on these uh, key things. And Will, I greatly appreciate you doing this. No, thanks for having me on, Graham. Okay, let's start off with one here from Barry. Um, are there any plans to improve the creek crossing into Glenbrook? Yeah, look, there's there's no current plans to, to greatly change the crossing. Um, at the moment, we're concentrating on flood repairs. But it's important to note that the, the actual crossing is specifically designed to support um, fish movements. So the design has been being kind of ecologically designed. Um, so there's no no plans to dramatically change the design, but they will fix up the recent damage. That's fascinating. When you think of a creek crossing, the last thing I'd be thinking would be fish movements. Yeah, so. and you've got um, you've got certain threatened species in the in the creek down there. So um, the design of the, the crossing is really important. Oh, excellent. Thank you for that. Now, a question from Anthony. Why can't Inga be opened up for car camping via the road to Murphy's Glen? charge approximately Oxley Wild Rivers National Park run a simple system of, of gate codes when you book a campsite. This could be expanded to several other campgrounds, um, including Ingar. Yeah, so the, so the fire trail that um, Anthony's talking about is Bedford Creek um, fire trail that runs between um, Murphy's and, and Ingar. Um, currently, it's it's listed as a management trail under the plan of management, and the road isn't really suitable for for many vehicles. It's really four wheel drive only. Um, it's got really street gate gradients, um, pretty challenging creek crossings, and some significant fall hazards. So while opening some of these tracks is possible in some situations, we're not currently considering it um, for Bedford Creek. Um, and one of the reasons behind that is. When fire trails are open to the public, there there is a significant increase to um, to the management of those trails, especially those those listed as strategic fire trails um, under the RFS um, Act. And we really have to manage our capacity um, to ensure those trails are, are ready to use under the when fire conditions um, are apparent during the fire season. All right, so it's it's quite a complex issue. Yeah, it is. Look, it's always a balance between allowing access um, and ensuring that that trails are, are usable for for what they're needed for. Um, right. But we do our best to allow access where we can within within Blue Mountains. Right. Next question from Mill: Will paid parking meters come to national park areas? If so, will my national parks um, parking pass be used in those areas? Yeah. So there's no current plans to introduce paid parking in the upper mountains. Um, need to be aware that there is uh, park entry fees at lots of, lots of national parks um, throughout New South Wales, including the lower part of Blue Mountains National Park with the entry fees into, into Glenbrook. Um, so we can't rule it out forever into the future. But um, the pay- we don't actually have paid parking in, in national parks. They are technically park entry fees, um, and that's why your annual pass currently um, covers them. So while that's still in you'd expect your, your annual passes to, to cover any entry fees. 
Right, okay. It, 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 paid parking certainly is a hot topic at the moment. Yeah, of course it is. Um, and it's if we ever do it in the future, we'll, we'll do our best to integrate it with, um, with paid parking with uh, the council system. Right. Okay, next one from David. Are there any plans, short or long term, to reopen the walking tracks from below Govett's Leap, Rodriguez Park and the descent track, etc.? Yeah. So the tracks we're talking about, uh, Rodriguez Pass, um, especially the section that leaves um, Grand Canyon and goes down to Govett's Creek, down to the bottom, um, and also what we call Williams Track, which goes from Govett's Leap Lookout um, down to the bottom of the falls there. Um, both of those tracks were extensively damaged during the fire and then suffered hugely during the, the heavy rainstorms. Um, so with the Rodriguez Pass, um, section of track, we lost approximately 300 metres of, of track um, and the geotechnical advice is that repairs there aren't really feasible because just because of the, the topography of the land, those landslides are likely to keep going whenever we have big flood events. So what we've been doing is we've been um, investing our time and energy in re-establishing the horse track as a viable alternative um, into the Gross Valley. It leaves a little bit closer to Evans Lookout um, and then comes out on Govett's Creek um, in a pretty similar location. So work's pretty well advanced through there. We've had to remove some geotech hazards um, and done a bunch of track work and we'd like to expect that to be open in the next couple of months. Oh, wow, that quick. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be that'll provide the sort of very similar level to access as, the, as um, Rodriguez Pass used to. And the other track we're talking about is Williams Track, which is the Govett's Descent. Um, so that was really extensively damaged during the fire, anything that was wooden pretty much burnt out. And then because of the hanging swamp along the cliff line there, we've had lots and lots of small to medium to large size landslides. And the problem there that we've got is that the, with the wet conditions that we keep having, those landslides just make it too risky to put our workers um, on the track for extended periods of time. Right. So what we're doing is really just monitoring the, the hanging swap and when when the stability is regained and conditions dry out, we'll, um, we'll consider restarting works and, and attempt to, to reopen that track in the future. Right, thank you for that. Next one is from Graham, which is not me. Um, the question is, National Parks and Wildlife perform very impressive pathway maintenance on a huge number of trails in the Blue Mountains. When national parks undertake uh, path repairs, I'm aware that many materials are lifted in by helicopter. However, once materials are on site, how do the workers manoeuvre the enormous sandstone steps in place? Yeah. So this is probably the most common question that we get as staff is how do you how do you actually move stuff around once you get it onto the walking track? Um, so we we've really dedicated a lot of effort into into our track building. We've got a designated track building team and a whole lot of specialised contractors that work for us. Um, and what they do, so we fly in all the materials um, with this sort of up to six hundred kilo um, loads. They are all the white bags that you see out on the tracks. And then they either move the materials by hand for the lighter materials or they set up gantries, which um, so they set up sort of mobile gantries, which they set up across the track, and they can move the rocks tens of metres using those. Um, and using that system, they can actually move blocks up to about 500 kilos. Wow. So they're all kind of um, 
very um, manual. Um, you know, you have to pull on a chain to lift the rocks and stuff, but they've, they've turned it into a real art form and they, they can move huge rocks and be very uh, specific about where they place them. I can understand that working really well on level ground, but you know, some of the tracks, uh, I'm thinking the Prince Henry Cliff Walk between Katoomba Falls and Echo Point, there's a long section there of going uphill. And I, yep. I can imagine that would be very difficult going uphill. Yeah, it's really difficult, and um, they're a very skilled, uh, skilled workforce. Um, but this is also why the, the repairs and the upgrades uh, seemingly take so long to undertake, because they're all very manual um, and slow-going works. So, um, but the outcomes are, are fantastic, and they should be there for 100, 150 oh, years. Yes, yes. Two last questions, one from Gordon. Mm-hmm. Why don't national parks have rubbish bins at popular lookouts? Yeah, so rubbish is always a, an issue um, at the high visitation sites throughout national parks. So while it's possible for national parks to provide rubbish bins, um, we actually prefer to to manage by the leave no place, place principles, where we really ask the visitors to be responsible for their own litter and remove everything that they they um, bring into the park with them. Um, and one of the one of the problems with providing rubbish bins at the at the high visitation sites is that on busy days that can actually exaggerate the amount of rubbish that's left. And we've all been to those those busy areas where you end up with rubbish piled up beside the rubbish bins. Yes. And the problem that we have up here, if that occurs on a windy day, then all of that extra extra waste gets blown into the into the bush, um, which is obviously what we're trying to trying to avoid. And where we have um, experimented it with it in the past, you know, the, the it works okay for 90% of the days, but then on those key days where you end up with far too much litter, um, we we get a huge quantity blown into the bush, so that's what we're trying to avoid. Yes, Echo Point is a good example. On a on a Monday Monday morning when you go down there and there's they they put in auxiliary bins in as well, and they're all full and overflowing and not good yeah. on a windy day. So the so the pre, presence of bins kind of encourages rubbish to be left, and then you'll get um you know huge plastic bags with the with the rubbish. So we actually get less problems quite often when we don't provide bins. That's fascinating. The human psyche. Yeah, it's a, it's a good social experiment. <laughs> yes. Now, last question from Belinda. Are bushwalkers allowed to camp anywhere in the National Park? Yeah, so the rules around camping can um, can be different in different national parks. I'll just talk to um, Blue Mountains, which is governed by the rules within our plan of management. So yeah, there, there are lots of technical rules, but in base basically anyone can camp as long as they're out uh, beyond 200 meters from any public access road lookout constructed walkway or any other um, visitor facility um, we also we discourage camping from you know the rocky points and, and limestone cliffs um, but people are allowed to to walk through the bush and, and camp away from visitor, visitor facilities um, and that's really just to just to get, strike up a balance between those who want to go and um, experience the remote areas and and the visitors that we have throughout the park, but um, but we strongly encourage people to use uh, use the designated camp, camping yes. sites, and especially the ones where, where there are facilities. How would that work with Naranek? Is that regarded as a as a major road, major track? Yeah, so Naranek would be 
deemed a major road. And because of how thin Naranek is, there's, there's effectively no camping along the, the top of the plateau there. Right, okay. Well, thank you for your time. This is the first time we've done this. We might do it again yeah. later this year. It's great to hear from people. The response was great, and I really appreciate everyone getting involved with it. And, Will, once again, thanks for your time. Yeah, no, thank you, and thank the public for the questions. Well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow us at askros.com.au and our Facebook page, Ask Ros Blue Mountains. Thanks again for your time.